right. Hello and welcome to the show. Good morning, Josh. Good morning, Joe. Hey, oh, all right. So today we are going to talk about what I call the Ephesus Awakening. Um, so this is a idea that's kind of come to light recently in my mind based around the letter to the church at Ephesus. Uh, this is going to be the first in the Revelation series. Uh, my students requested that I do a series on Revelation, so here we are doing a series on Revelation. Heavily requested. Yes. While kids are hungry for prophecy, um, should give us an idea what time it is and mm-hmm. how close we are. Yep. Uh, so I kind of want to start a little different than normal. I'm just going to read the letter and let the letter speak for itself. Mm-hmm. So write this letter to the angel in the church at Ephesus. This is the message from one who holds the seven stars in his right hand one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone who, with ears to hear, must listen to what the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give the fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Mm-hmm. So that is our first letter in the book of Revelation. And at this point to set the scene, we have John exiled to the island of Patmos after having been persecuted for the faith. Um, many say that uh, was dipped in boiling oil. Mm-hmm. So that sounds like a lot of fun. I'm sure it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> and so he was exiled to this island because they can't kill him. Mm-hmm. So we can't kill you. We don't know what to do with you. So we're going to shut you up. Yeah. So. And so he's sitting there, he's praying, and suddenly this vision of Jesus comes to him. And now he is speaking with Jesus, and Jesus says, listen up. This is the Joe paraphrase. Listen up. I need you to write some letters to some churches. Mm-hmm. And so this is the first in a series of letters. This comes, to me at least, by way of looking at what's going on right now in the church with the brethren and seeing that it parallels a lot with this letter to Ephesus. So right now the people of God are going through a shaking. It's almost like the purification you would see uh, in terms of purifying metal or, or making a sword. You mm-hmm. know, if you make a sword, you've got to take the sword, you've got to dip it in the hot, into the fire, you got to pull it out, and then you got to bang it out with a, a hammer and get the shape right, and then you got to dip it back into the fire. It's a constant refinement. Mm-hmm. Of of destruction, essentially, or destroying what you were to make you what you are supposed to be and mm-hmm. to make you usable. Yep. So the 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 people of God are going through this. Well, for lack of a better word, reformation. Um, and yeah, sins are being revealed. Secret sins are being revealed, not just to the public, but sometimes just to the person. And it's going to be expected that they repent. Uh, pain is being brought out. Darkness of our hearts is being illuminated, and, and there is hope in that. Mm-hmm. And the hope is that if we turn and repent, then the Father's going to call us back to our true identity, the identity of being his beloved, mm-hmm. right? And and there seems to be, to me, the, the men of God that are coming out of this are coming out with a better understanding of who they are to the Father in Christ. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm noticing that too in my uh, my weekly study, just looking at different church leaders that are kind of cropping up right now. They seem to be. There was like this this generation of mainstays in the church that is now starting to kind of fade into the background either because they're you know just passing away or because they're retiring or whatever um and i you know watching this new generation come up it's it's super interesting uh to see 
it kind of like the change in attitude almost that they have. There seems to be a much greater urgency right, among the newer guys. And, you know, for me and my background um, as, as someone who does for, follow more of a reformed tradition, that word reformation is uh, rather exciting to me because mm-hmm. historically that means stuff's about to get done. So uh, what, what do you think the, the end game is for this? Like what, once the reformation happens, once these people get established finally like the way they're going to be what do you think the significance of that will end up being passionate love for our savior um and and that's that's a very simplistic view of it but i think that once we get a hold of who we are in christ to the father once we really understand that we're going to start to see people who are so passionately in love with christ that we're going to see the acts church rise again Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the ministry pages I used to do a lot of work on was just posting on Facebook and stuff like that. I called it second acts ministry mm-hmm. because I believe that the, the next reformation might be the final reformation of the Christian church. We're going back to doing miracles, raising the dead. Mm-hmm. We are going back to a passionate love of Christ and showing the world that he's not dead. Yeah. That he is very much alive, that he very much reigns. And the men that are coming out of this are coming out with such an amazing understanding. You know, one of the ways that I've heard it explained is Jesus is sit at the right hand of the Father. There's a lot of uh, allusion to that in the the text, right? Mm -hmm. Sit at the right hand of the Father. Sit at the right hand of the Father over and over. But we don't read a lot of where we are in that picture. We often look at Revelation and say, well, maybe... Maybe we're part of elders. Maybe we're part of 144. Maybe we're, mm-hmm. and I've heard speculation all over the board like that. We are in the throne with Christ. Yeah, we are the bride of Christ, and and I believe I talked about it last week, where you have a, a coin, and you need a heads and a tails. Mm-hmm. You, you can't have two heads or two tails on the coin and have it be the the coin. It's something else now. Right. That's a dice. Right. So when you look at the picture of marriage, the picture of marriage is two things making one complete thing. Mm -hmm. And so we are always talked about as the church, we're the bride of Christ. If you are one complete thing, why would you be sitting anywhere else? Mm -hmm. Why would you not be on the throne? And so we are seated with Christ on the throne at the right hand of the Father in such a way that when the Father looks at us, all he sees is Christ. Mm-hmm. And that means that you are beloved. Yeah. And I, I use the term beloved because the scripture uses the term beloved a lot. In fact, David, David means beloved of God. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, also just from a, from a practical standpoint, thinking about the Trinity and its form before creation, mm-hmm. right? Like the, this is a all loving God that we're talking about. And this all-loving God had all of its love concentrated on the other two persons of the Trinity. Right. So, you know, when we when we take on the the image of Christ, when we do that, all of that love is you know it's already on us, obviously, but right. you know that it's it's completed in such a way that we haven't really experienced before. Correct. And so when we understand what that love is, what it looks like and how it interacts with our spirit person, so mm-hmm. to speak, how do you look in any other way at your savior than wow, complete yeah. awe? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. how many times yeah. in the Bible where even an angel will go to somebody and that person falls down and worships, mm-hmm. you know, but to imagine the, that Yeshua, son of the Most High, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, and then gave that to me. Mm -hmm. All the sins of the world separated him from the Father for the first time since the beginning of time. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm -hmm. And it was in preparation for, 
for what he then had to do after he left the earth mm-hmm. and and to storm hell yeah and to rip those keys out of the hands of the evil and and to claim that we've we we now have control of the earth mm-hmm. you know the, the demons hate us right because we are everything and a constant reminder of everything they can't be. They cannot be redeemed. Yeah. They cannot be wholly beloved by God mm-hmm. and redeemed and sanctified and brought back into fellowship with him because they chose actively after being in his presence to defy that. Yeah. You know, I, I actually watched the film Nefarious last night. An amazing, amazing film, and I think it's very telling of where culture is going as mm-hmm. a whole. Because I think that we're starting to see more Christian media crop up. Some great, some, you know, mediocre, but, but we're seeing more Christian media pop up because people are hungry for an answer. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's also part of the Ephesus awakening. We're starting to see we live in a supernatural world. And for so many years, the supernatural world that we live in, we haven't seen it like that. We've seen the supernatural world as very natural and, and living through that scientific revolution that we've lived through. So. You know, I think, I think that's, a, that's a great point when you talk about this. Uh, you know, what I, what I referred to earlier is this like seemingly generational transition period in the church. That's, that's a great way of putting the change that I've noticed. It's this, like the spiritual aspect of it is less about uh, doctrinal understanding now and more about what we're actually seeing mm-hmm. in the real world, right? And, right. you know, partially this is probably due to the advent of the Internet and we can just see things on a global scale much right. easier because, um, you know, it never went away. But at the same time, you know, when when you listen to these these church leaders talking about this stuff, there is a very real sense of like, hey, this is... It may be more important than it's ever been before. Right. And I, I think that part and parcel to the, the the awakening we're seeing, the one pastor that I have specifically in mind is uh, Damon Thompson. I, I absolutely love him. I would follow him for years and years I was following him. And uh, it, recently his preaching changed significantly. And he started being more about grace, love, and mercy, but not in the... God's going to bless your socks off tithe to me kind of way. Like he's mm-hmm. talking about his personal understanding of the father in light of his revelation. Yeah. And, and that's what actually first spurred me to, to look into this. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody's perfect. And, and certainly he would use a translation that I don't enjoy very much. A, a passion, non-translation, mm-hmm. not a real translation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, aside from that, his new preaching is, is so filled with love for Jesus and a love for what he's done in his life. And I started looking at that and I, I said, God, well, if this is the real deal, let me see it because I don't want to fall for something. You know, it's like the, the, the letter we're reading today says, you know, you, you can pick out the, the fake apostles and I want to make sure that I'm doing that. I don't want to just fall for whatever anybody says. Mm Mm-hmm. So I started listening more and more and more to what he's talking about. And I'm I'm realizing slowly that this is an understanding of the father's heart for us, not a me first gospel movement. You know, a lot of people for years and years, I'm not going to call out any pastors, but pastors have been doing the, you know, live your best life routine for a while now. Mm-hmm. And I've never liked that. That's not, to my opinion, the gospel. I mean, we're talking about a guy who was boiled in oil today. He's less surviving of the apostles at this point. Yeah, and that was the last of the many attempts on his life that right. the Romans gave. Right. So, I mean, we're obviously not supposed to live our best life now. We're supposed to live the best way we can to live Christ in our life now, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a distinction that sounds minute, but it's huge. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm looking at the way people are feeling, the way people are moving towards this this radical, radical shift in the understanding of where Jesus wants us. And as I started studying into Revelation 2 and looking into this, 
I kind of go back to the text here. And the first thing Jesus says to this church, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and patient endurance. Now, yes, the gospel is grace through faith alone, not of works that no man may boast. Mm -hmm. But the first thing Jesus talks about is seeing their hard work and their patient endurance. Yeah. So what is, what do you think that means? Where do you fall on that? What do you think that means to us as a a church? Like, where do the works come into play? Um, I mean, you know, James is one of my favorite books in the Bible. And I think the main reason for that is because it gives such clear distinctions as far as um, how we are supposed to live our life. And it also gives us certain kind of like mile markers for our spiritual journey, right? Right. And uh, one of those is James very clearly saying, like, hey, you are not saved by your works, Mm -hmm. but if you have no works, guess what? You don't have any faith, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're you're saved uh, through grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, all that stuff, but if the works aren't present, then none of that has happened. Right. And that's kind of what they're saying here. It's like, hey, we can see... We can see the evidence of your transformation mm-hmm. in your, you know, dedication, hard work, all of that stuff. Right. All of that is just an indicator of our salvation. Right. And and I couldn't have said it better. Really, Jesus is saying, "Listen, you're you're running the race. Mm-hmm. You have that patient endurance. You're you're willing to wait for my coming back. You're willing to wait the long game to to find." people and bring them to me essentially you know um you're doing what i asked you to do but as we scroll further down into the letter we're seeing that they lost their love and and if you don't have love i you really don't have anything paul kind of said it best when he said that you know without love i'm just a a gong or a clanging symbol right so if you don't have love how are these works going to manifest in fruit? Well, and I think this is... All of these letters have significant application to the modern church, Oh, right? certainly. But as far as, you know, when you think about the concept of a mega church, <laughs> this is sort of, like, this is the one that jumps out the most to me because it's right. like, Hey, we can we can see all the good things that you do. We can see the big budget and where that goes to mission fields, mm-hmm. where that goes to, you know, work in the community, all that stuff. The issue is with a lot of those churches, um, when you get a staff that large, when you have to coordinate all of those things, when you have to work with that amount of money, there is a certain sense of like the love for it all is kind of gone, right? Like you're just trying to make the system work as well as it can. Right. And I've I've been in some of these meetings and it it's 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 worrisome, right. right? Because a lot of it is just trying to figure out how to make the system work. Um and you know, that's that's an issue. Well, yeah, and and I think that it becomes a job for most pastors. Mm-hmm. I think they forget that they fell into the calling there's something that Christ called them to do, not through something they've done on their own. Mm-hmm. And the first love is always, listen, I got a, I've got to really truly, um, notice that there is an understanding in my heart of what Christ wants me to do. And then there is an understanding in my head of how I think I need to get there. Yeah. And the problem is, is that those two things are almost never going to mesh properly because mm-hmm. our understanding is not what he uses. Yeah. In a, in a, the instance of a, a large church, when it becomes more about the books than the parishioners, you have a serious issue on your hands. Mm-hmm. When it becomes my way or the highway, you have a serious issue on your hands because Jesus never taught like that. No. Jesus taught under a tree, not in a big air-conditioned arena. Right. And I, I think that this this awakening that I keep talking about here, is, I think that also is part of it. The big picture is going to be going back to the way we were supposed to do the church, mm-hmm. not the way we decided to do the church. Well, is you that, know, is and that track? 
Absolutely. I mean, in my head, you see these these trends in the news as far as like, um, Joe, what was the story about the Catholics in New York a little while ago mm-hmm. that weren't allowed to assemble for right, mass? Right, right. They were saying something about they were trying to stop them from assembling for mass, something about them being terrorists or, or something like that, I believe. I, I'd have to read up on it. Yeah, so like, you know, that, that was a fairly recent um, story. I think it was from earlier this year, mm-hmm. or maybe late last year. That was a few months ago. Yeah, and um, when you look at things like that starting to happen, it, for me at least, it seems like there is a trend back towards this kind of like uh, house church, small mm-hmm. gatherings, like underground movement right. thing that it was originally right. back in the day when persecution was real, and. Or you in know, other we, countries where it's still very right, much yeah, is. yeah. Well, that's yeah. what I was about to say. Yeah, like uh, in China, the the underground movement in China, we really don't know how big it is, but right. we can estimate that it's uh, fairly substantial. From what I understand, it's in the high millions in certain areas, which is so just incredible. If you can, I mean, if you can think about the number of people China has, yeah, and it's in these high millions where these people are meeting. I heard a story recently, and I forget who was telling it, where they said that that. They were talking to this pastor from America, and I said, well, we want to be more like you. Can you pray that we're more like you? And the pastor said, no, I will absolutely uh-huh. not pray for that. Uh-huh. Because if anything, we should be more like you. Yeah. And that is such a picture of the real Christian church where we understand, hey, listen, persecution brings people together. Mm-hmm. If you look at even what's going on in news right now, where one group of people have decided that they're going to live a certain way and not care about what the other group says. And now that group, we'll just put it in plain words. The the left is saying that the right has no right to do what they want to do as far as their religion, but the the left is going to live their religion out, their lifestyle out. Mm -hmm. And when just a few people on the right get together, they can cost the company $26 billion since February? Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, um, and and the the boycotts between Bud Light, Target, and all these different companies that they're boycotting, it really shows the minds of people when they get together and they're together and assembled on an issue. What they could do? Imagine how much more if the church got that way. And I think that's the biggest problem right now in America is that the Christ. church is sleeping. And it yeah. needs to be woken up. And I think that this is just the first step in that process. Um, well, yeah. I mean, you look at the... There was a survey done by a group called Ligonier Ministries. They do this every either every, every other year or every year. Um, where they survey a large group of people, a large group of evangelical Christians, on their view of uh, different subjects of doctrine and scripture and all this. And what they found year over year is Americans are incredibly sure of where they stand on these issues that overlap Christianity and politics. Mm -hmm. They have much less of an opinion of matters of pure doctrine, right? And I, I think that's implicative of the issue that we see with the American church. It's that you know, frankly, we care too much about politics. Yeah. We care too much about politics, and as long as that is the case, we are going to be more caught up. We're going to be so caught up in the divisions of the world that we're not going to be able to notice the divisions in the our church. Right. And I, I do think politics has its place in a Christian's life. Absolutely. Certainly yeah. we should be paying attention to what's going on. If nothing else, we're dealing with the signs of the times that Jesus himself had told us about. So, I mean, this is hands down— is something that we need to pay attention to, but the the Bible tells us to be in the world, not of the world. Right. And I think often when we start to lose our head, yeah, boycott things that you disagree with. It's you know, it's the only money is the only language a lot of people understand. Mm-hmm. But don't let that separation from companies drive a separation between you and fellow people made in the image of God, which I think right. is what we're assessing in this letter. The lo- you don't love me or each other as you did at first. When you first get saved, 
the first thing you want to do is love every single person you can find mm-hmm. and share the gospel with all of them. And then a couple of times you get a bad review. You get somebody tr- saying, no, you know, I don't, I don't agree with this person. This guy's crazy. That Jesus freak. And as it slowly trickles down, you start to realize, wait a minute. If it's not working, maybe I'm doing something wrong. And you start to give up on the message instead of realizing that Jesus said, listen, they hated me. They're going to hate you. Yeah. You got to do this. Yeah. Your first love is the gospel. Your first love is me. And I always tell the kids this. I say, if you got a new video game, you got a new electronic, you got a new dog, depending on who I'm talking to. (laughs) Right. Wouldn't you want to show everybody? Wouldn't you want to share that with people? And at the first, yeah, yeah, of course we would. How much bigger is the fact that you were saved from hell yeah. than getting something that will eventually perish, die, or break? Well, and that's that's a message to the young kids, but I, I think that's one that sometimes doesn't resonate very much with adults, and it should. Right, because right? I mean that's that's really what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with something that is of eternal substance, right? Mm-hmm. We're we're dealing with something that is of eternal significance. Yeah, and if we don't have that perspective on it, what are we doing? Right. Well, and it's uh, it, it's a a picture of the heart issue we face. Mm-hmm. We as people, since the beginning of time, have wanted to be our own gods. It goes straight back to the garden. This will make you like God. And Satan is not as intelligent as we give him credit for. Mm -hmm. He's been using the same line for 6,000 years. Be like God. Be like God. Let's build a tower so that we can get up there and be like God. Let's be like God. Kill these people because they're not as good as you. I'm going to make you a God. Mm -hmm. And the line has always been, you can be God. Here's the line, guys. You can't be God. And you don't want to be God. The, the the Mormons, the Mormons, their their theology is that everybody can be God. Kind of drowns out the market, in my opinion. I don't really <laughs> want to be a God. I what I want to be is subservient to God because rules and boundaries give you immense levels of freedom that you could never understand had you not had those rules in place. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, like I I would I would ask. Certain people, I would ask them, um, well, you know, what exactly does it mean to be God if everyone is God? Right. right? Like to, to quote Syndrome from The Incredibles, if everyone's super, then no one is. Right. And, you know, like if if everyone is God, what exactly does that mean? Right. right. Like you, you get your own planet and you just get to like, this is just a sci-fi fantasy, not like, you know, that doesn't sound like something that's actually real. Right. Well, and I think that, that we don't think, and I, I think humans by and by have lost their ability to, to think critically of doctrines, of mm-hmm. situations, of different, even uh, ideological or political thoughts. Yeah. They think whole, full stop, about 30 seconds on any given situation. They yeah, don't stop accurate. and think and go, hey, listen, you know, um, if I was God, what would that mean for me? It would mean you'd screw everything up. That's what it would mean. Yeah. Like, uh, look at Bruce Almighty, for example. I know it's a comedy movie, <laughs> but, like, by the end of the movie, he was tired. It, it's just, yeah. it, we can't be our own God. We need to follow God, and he'll give us something better than being God, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that comes from our worldview. I, I listen to a lot a lot of Dr. Michael Heiser and it breaks my heart that he has passed. Um, not for him. He's certainly with the Lord right now, having a time of his eternity, right? He is, he is definitely happier than he ever was on this earth, but it was our loss when we lost him because this man had given people a worldview that we hadn't previously contemplated. He was very big on having the Hebrew or the Greek in your head, that person from that century, whatever part of the Bible you're studying in your head to inform your decisions on what the scripture means. And often we look at God, G O D and we, we assign a set of attributes to those three letters. And the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible uses the term Elohim Mm -hmm. and Elohim is a big picture, 
uh, term, it basically means any non-bodied spirit entity. Uh, so there are multiple Elohim. We know of angels, demons, messengers. Uh, there are people in the heavenly council that are considered Elohim. And so he put that view into our heads. So I'm thankful for what he's done in that aspect. And we get that worldview straight. We think right about the things of God. Mm -hmm. And that was also something that informed me in this study because the next thing you see here is look how far you've fallen. Mm -hmm. You know, demons, we often talk about angels and demons and we have a, a wrong view of them. Like I said earlier, angels and demons wish they were us. They, they look at us Absolutely. as, they look at us as God's prized possession. And we're so silly that we go, Oh, well that person died and now they have wings and they're an angel in heaven. And, and none of that is true. Not even all angels have wings. So <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's a ridiculous notion that we've imparted on this stuff, but God is putting a picture into your head. You look how far you've fallen. You know, we think fallen, in a couple different aspects, but spiritually speaking, one of the worst things that ever happened were the angels fell. I mean, we, we lost a ton of angels in heaven to, to the earth. They fell. Mm -hmm. And, and Jesus is saying, Hey, listen, look, you've fallen from love. Love is the center of everything we do. God himself is love. Yeah. So don't turn from that. And then he says, well, turn back to me. That's everything in the Bible is repent. Turn away. Turn away from your sin. Walk in a different direction. He's saying now, come back. Repent from your sin and turn back and come to me because you've fallen, but I'm inviting you back. Because if you don't repent and come, and I'm going to remove your lampstand. The lampstand in this instance, if you're unfamiliar with the book, the lampstand is essentially the church. Mm -hmm. I'm going to remove your ability to share the gospel and to be in my group of guys. Yeah. I, I could think of nothing worse for my life than to not be able to love God and share the gospel. And I, I mean that I don't mean that to say like I'm on a soapbox, but I've gone from uh, about eight, nine years now I've been saved before that I was a, I was an atheist for 10 years. I can't even look back on that life without getting sick. Thinking the things I've done, the things I've said, the people I've hurt, and the, the eternal significance that my actions had back then that I didn't even realize. So I could think of nothing worse than going back to a life where God has said, all right, I'm done with you. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, listen, you got this chance to repent. The church is in this ballpark right now. We are in a place where God's saying, turn back to me. Don't go to your churches. Don't go to your pastors. Don't go to your, your millions of books written by men. Get the Bible in your hands. Read it. Find out who I am. Come back to me and lead people correctly because this is it. We're getting to the end here. This is the whole idea of these letters. There's seven letters. Mm -hmm. And each one of these letters, you're learning that we're getting closer. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. Mm -hmm. And these, these were written some, almost 2,000 years ago. I mean, these are, these are pretty old letters. Yeah. Uh, and he's saying then, it's closer now than it's ever been. I think we should probably get ready for something big coming here. I mean... I don't know about you. I look at the news and I see things that it, it, it was happening in the days of Noah. I mean, we're talking about child sacrifice. Uh, in fact, uh, nefarious last night, um, watching it, it just, it snapped me. The demon is speaking to the, the therapist and I'm going to paraphrase here. Cause I don't remember the exact line. He says, do you know the immense pain the carpenter feels meaning Jesus every single time a baby is murdered? And he's talking to this guy about a uh, uh, spoiler alert. Okay. That was your alert. He's talking to this guy about this abortion that his girlfriend is currently having while he's in the cell with him. Yeah. And he's talking about how you're going to commit these murders. And the very next thing you hear is him talking about the murder of an innocent child and a, the shedding of innocent blood, which we've talked about last week as one of the things that God hates. Yeah. And so, uh, 
we're seeing more babies murdered now than when Baal demanded child sacrifice. We're seeing more babies killed now than ever before in human history. We're seeing sexual deviance at an all-time high. We're seeing evils that I never thought I could even possibly see in my lifetime coming back. And the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. I don't even want to know what's coming next. He said he wouldn't destroy the earth again with a flood. Fire's going to be worse. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's uh, that's true. I I just looked up the number. This is from the uh, the Guttmacher Institute. As of March twenty third, two thousand and twenty two, um, sixty one percent of unintended preg- pregnancies over the prior year ended in abortion. Sixty one percent. This translates to seventy three million abortions per year. My Lord, forgive us. The The thing about this that should turn your stomach is that the enemy hates us so much. Yeah. So, so much that he would rather end humanity so that God can't get the final... Gentiles saved so they could come back. The devil is on a long game here. He is trying to kill all of it. It comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Mm. And that is exactly what he's doing there. That is gut-wrenching to think about those numbers of these innocent children. And if you think back, it's the same game the devil's always been in. What did he do when Moses arrived on the scene? Mm Mm-hmm. He killed the babies. What do you do when Jesus arrived on the scene? He killed the babies. He loves killing babies because that's the only way. You want to defeat something in infancy because if that thing grows up, it's going to crush your head. Yeah. And you know it. Yeah. They already lost. The, the powers of darkness have already lost this battle. Mm-hmm. They cannot win. The only way they can win is if you believe the lie. Keep scrolling on your internet. Keep keep going on your Facebook and your Instagram and your TikToks. Keep doing that because as long as you're not paying attention, mm-hmm. the devil's got a foothold in your life. And yeah, there's there's some good stuff. Yeah, I keep up with my family on Facebook. I'm not going to say I don't. I use it for ministry. I'm not going to say I don't. But there's a time to put it down and walk away from the distraction because the Bible's more important. Binge watch Netflix. 12 episodes in a row and you just wasted half of a day that you could have been out sharing the gospel with people. You could have been reading your Bible and getting to know who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. Kind of, I don't want to go off too much of a bunny trouble. I'll say this. I hear people say all the time, well, I can't go preach the gospel because I don't know my Bible well enough. Okay. Why don't you read your Bible? I'll have time to read my Bible. Okay. What'd you do last night? Oh, I seen like 14 episodes of the Outer Banks. It was great. Guess what? I, I'm going to say it. It's going to be unpopular. But I'm going to say it. John B. is not going to save your soul. He's, he's just not. No. He's not even saving television because, honestly, it's not that great of a show. It's really not, no. But God is giving the opportunity for you to turn back to your first love and get closer to him. I'm going to use a, a, a really focused effort here mm-hmm. if you don't find things repugnant that Jesus finds repugnant you might not be a Christian yeah alright I have my stomach turn in church when certain songs are played mm-hmm. because I don't think people pay attention to what they're singing to God anymore I think that's part of losing your first love yeah I'm gonna say it I wasn't gonna say it but I'm gonna say it here we go if you sing reckless, you need to think about what the word means, and you cannot change the meaning for yourself. Yeah. God is not reckless. His love is not reckless. The very definition of the word reckless destroys the idea that God had this planned from the very beginning. He wanted a human family. That's all he wants. Yeah. He doesn't want 
because the, you because the entire world revolves around you and you're the most important thing in you. He wants you because he loves you. And there's nothing more powerful than that. Yeah. And so I want people to think about first love on the basis of what we sing. Reckless is an easy one to pick out because everybody knows about it. But so many of our Christian worship songs are no longer worshiping Christ, but worshiping us. Mm-hmm. You know, I could think of three or four right off the top of my head. He didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. Mm-hmm. I can't stand that lyric. It's, Yes, yes, he loves us. That's not why all this happened. And if you don't focus on the love of Christ first, it becomes more about you than it is about him. He loses that glory that you deservedly should be giving him. Mm-hmm. And all of this is for nothing because you lost your first love. Yeah. So if you don't repent, you're going to lose your lampstand. Well, and it's it's one of these things where it's like, are are you going to believe the Bible or not? Because it says very clearly, bad trees cannot produce good fruit. Mm -hmm. And this is just the reality. When you see merchandise come out from these bands autographed by the lead singer of the band on the t-shirt, Brandon Lake signing his name on a worship (laughs) t-shirt... Um, that's, that's not somebody singing about God. That's a rock star. Right. Right. And I, if he's the one writing the songs again, like I, I, I hear so often, okay, well you don't have to like him, but like the songs are still good. No, they're not. No, no, they're not. Because here, here's the thing you think about the people that wrote the great hymns of the past. Um, these were people that were broken over and over and over again. These were people that, uh, you know, the the guy that wrote Amazing Grace, he was a slaver originally, and then he was in slavery. And then, you know, he lost his family. He was a very... I mean, that's that's hard living. This guy did not have a good life. He wrote about the grace of God because he needed it, and he knew that he needed it. He knew how desperately he needed it. And if you think about the words of Amazing Grace, when man is the main subject, it's talking about the depravity of man, mm-hmm. right? I once was blind, but now I see. Right. Why do I see? It's because of God. Right. Right. And and when you think about the people that are writing these songs today, they're all millionaires. Yeah, yeah, they are, and I, you know, it's it's very difficult from a penthouse to recognize just how much you need Jesus. Again, are you going to believe your Bible? Or are you not? Right. Because it says it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Right, and I'm going to read this about Horatio Spafford, um, the the man who wrote "Is Well with My Soul." So Horatio Spafford knew something about life's unexpected changes. He is a successful attorney and real estate investor who lost a fortune in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Mm-hmm. Around the same time, his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. Thinking a vacation would do his family some good, he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship to England, planning to join them after he finished some pressing business at home. Yeah. However, while crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship was involved in a terrible collision and sunk. More than 200 people lost their lives, including all four of Horatio's daughters. His wife, Anna, survived the tragedy, and upon arriving in England, she sent a telegram to tell her husband as began. He then penned, It is well with my soul. Suffering brings out the best in God's people because we realize in those moments where we have nothing, We don't need anything but Jesus. Mm -hmm. And while I'm not inclined to want suffering, I'm inclined to want more of Jesus. And so as we realize, and and to kind of bring this full circle back to what we've been talking about, when we realize how we are viewed through the eyes of the Father Mm -hmm. as made perfect by the blood of, of Christ, how 
in the world can we view our lives in any other way than given to Christ for his glory? Because I don't know about you, Josh. I don't know that I could survive the death of a child with anything other than Christ. I mean, I, I, I had a hard time as an atheist not wanting to commit suicide because if you believe that there is nothing, yeah. then the only thing you have is, you know, heartache and, and realizing that nothing matters. It's despair. The true outcome of atheism is despair. Yeah. And so to not take my own life as an atheist was hard enough, but to lose a child and have that despair that it means nothing, I couldn't imagine that. And so the church needs to start thinking with an eternal perspective because houses will crumble. Yeah. Lives on this earth are short. Mm -hmm. Your car will eventually have something happen where it can't be driven, driven anymore. Mm -hmm. The internet may go away. Your house may blow away to sticks. There is a million things that could happen to every last thing. Right now we're watching the dollar crumble. Within weeks your bank account could be worthless. Mm -hmm. But what's worth more than all of that, infinitely and eternally more than that, is the love of Christ. And the gift of salvation that we get through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. When he died on that cross, he said to Telestai, it is finished. Your debt has been paid. Yeah. Now we're about to take this world back. Yeah. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to take this world back from the hand of the devil. And finally, the last part of this letter. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Mm -hmm. The Nicolaitans, it's it's kind of hard to find good information on this sect because it was a, a an offshoot sect. Um, it's attributed to be started by a, a man named Nicholas. So that makes sense. Makes sense, yeah. yeah. And they claimed to be Christians but weren't. And they had... Uh, Orgies in the church. Mm -hmm. They had um, sacrifice in many instances. They they worshipped Baal in in a lot of ways. Um, and and these these people were not Christians. They were not good people. Nope. And God, or I should say, uh, Jesus says to John to write this down. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He never says you hate the Nicolaitans as I do. He says you hate the deeds of them. Mm -hmm. You need to get back to your first love, but you need to hate evil. Mm -hmm. I hate evil. I hate the evil in me. Yeah. Because we're imperfect people. I, I have evil thoughts just like everybody else. A lot of them. Yeah. And I hate them. The difference now from then was I used to rejoice in the things that I did mm -hmm. that were evil. And now I look at them with this level of disdain and, uh, you know, whoa, whoa. Woe to me! Well, what a what an evil an evil man I am, as Paul said. I look at the deeds of this world, and I see people murdering kids at that that horrific number that you just gave. I see people stealing God's rainbow, a promise that He would never destroy the earth by water again. And blaspheming it. I see yeah. the word love. God is love. Mm -hmm. And I see the word love being tarnished in so many ways. Yeah. The marriage covenant destroyed. A gift that God gave us from the book of Genesis. Destroyed. No fault divorce at an all time high. Mm -hmm. The destruction of the family. This is the work of the enemy, and the only way to reclaim this ground is for the church to stand up and stop being afraid of being unpopular because guess what? I'll save you the time you're going to be, and that's okay Yep. because you'd rather be popular in the eyes of the Father 
than be popular in the eyes of the world because the world is going to be destroyed, just like your car, just like your house, just like all your belongings. The world's going away, folks. It's not sticking around. But Jesus is. And your soul will reside somewhere forever. It's best we get it placed firmly on the path to the one most important moment of all time when you get to embrace your Savior and fall at his feet and thank him for saving a wretch like you, a wretch like me. That's my, my heart's cry is to see people awaken from this slumber and awaken to what I have now dubbed this is now my thing, the Ephesus awakening (laughs) and see what God wants from you because he doesn't want you to give him all your money. He doesn't need it. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want you to go to a building to compare clothes on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need it. He wants your worship Mm -hmm. and your love. And he doesn't want one day a week visitation. He is God every day of the week, 365 days of the year. He is God. He wants you to acknowledge that, to love him. And guess what? To love the people he's put on his earth. Gay, straight, black, white, Chinese. It doesn't matter. He wants you to love the people he put on his earth because the only way to bring someone to the feet of of the cross is to love them like Jesus would. And once you've done that, you've got them. Now just let God take care of it. Let Jesus clean them off. You catch them. He cleans them. He said, you're fishers of men. He didn't say you were butchers of men. He didn't say you were cleaning up the fish and taking off the scales. He didn't say you were the chef of men. He said, you are a fisher of men. Put the line in the water, see what bites and follow him and get back to your first love. That's, what this awakening is about. Final thoughts, Josh. To anyone that has the Holy Spirit inside of them, thinking about thinking about the final tribulation, thinking about the suffering that is to come, there's a certain inspiration that fills your heart. Like you're not, you're not excited to go through that suffering, but at the same time you understand what it means and you understand it. Joe, when you were, when you were speaking just now, you were describing a lot of, a lot of bad things but it, it you know it it was filling my heart with this sense of joy mm. you know the sense of like yeah it, it's it's going to be okay and i think the reason for that is because you know for those of you that have read the book and uh particularly this this last book of revelation you know how it's going to end and there isn't a whole lot more comforting in this world than knowing that no matter what you do, it, it's, it's going to end in success, mm. right? Because if we were all given that assurance with everything in our lives, it would probably be incredibly boring, but it would be a lot easier to live, right? Mm. And guys, please understand, it is, it is much easier to endure suffering when you know that you're doing it for something more important than yourself. And also, please understand, the suffering is coming. I mean, it, it is. There's no way to avoid it. it. Joe, I also had the thought earlier while you were talking, um, suffering cannot really be avoided. Yep. In this life. No, it can't. I think both of us can attest to that. Probably you more than me, just because you have more years on this earth. There is no way to avoid suffering. No. If you spend your life running from it, then you'll just be running a lot. Yeah. Because uh, you're never going to be able to stop. 
there will be no rest if you spend your life running from suffering. Right. And, and you won't get away from it either. And yeah, you won't get away from it. It'll just build up. It'll just build up behind you because the harder you run from it, the harder it runs towards you. Mm-hmm. Friends in this life, you can't, you can't get away from suffering, but you can find peace in it. That's right. And that peace is delivered through Jesus Christ. That peace is delivered through understanding the word of God that peace is delivered by resting in it yeah. and I, I understand that you know to to the younger audience it may be particularly boring to you know read the writings of the Puritans or to you know sing the old hymns but if you ever can please find a way to study those things, to, to study the words of the Christians that came before us in prior generations because there's so much peace. Mm. I mean, that's really, that is the prevailing thought through all of it. Through every generation, 1800s, 1600s, 1400s, the Reformation when, you know, Reformed Christians were being burned alive by other Christians, through all of it, there was this peace, right? Um, John Huss burned at the stake hmm. for saying essentially that the Catholic Church was doing wrong by people by telling them that they were saved by their works, right? Like something that something that today you posted on TikTok and everybody's like, cool, whatever. Back then, that opinion got him killed. And as he was being burned alive, he said, and this is where we get the saying from, this goose might be cooked, but there will come a swan that you cannot defeat, that you mm, cannot kill. That's good. I didn't even know that. And that that swan was Martin Luther. Eventually he, he came around and that was the swan. But John Huss, because <laughs> I'm not sure if you understand this, but being burned alive is not exactly a comfortable... <laughs> scenario i can think of no worse way to die aside from possibly crucifixion yeah yeah i mean excrucio outside of that uh ignis was the next one listed yeah on the the roman triad of horrible ways to die and this man being burned alive had the presence of mind he had the peace to be able to say uh you might have gotten me but but I'm not really your enemy here. Yeah, you have, you he. have made your enemy to be God. Yeah. Good great, luck with that. Greater is he that lives in me than he that's in the world. And and we realize, yeah. too, through that suffering, it's not the people doing it to us. You know, Christ had it right. He said that, you know, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. The people are controlled by who they give control to. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, in this world... A fair many people will give control to Satan. Yeah. And our job as Christians is to love them through it. And that's really the hope that I have here. What would you do if you knew you wouldn't fail? What in life could you accomplish if you knew 100% you won't yeah. fail? Because failure for a Christian is not trying. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul, I, I love Paul because... You can go up to Paul. He had to be the most annoying person in the world <laughs> for someone who wanted to stop him because, well, well, we're gonna um, we're gonna torture you. All right, cool. Well, you know, the um, the afflictions of this world are nothing compared to what's coming for me. Right. All right. Well, we'll we'll kill you. Well, to to die is gain. Well, uh-huh. or we'll we'll put you in jail. Well, live as Christ. I'll just convert <laughs> your guards. Like you're not gonna make this guy. Yeah lose his faith and and that is the mentality we need we need to have as a church is yes was this a a deep sad episode yeah i'm sorry it is but suffering's gonna come but you know what our hope is not in this world our hope is in the one who has already suffered and died to give us a life that we oper- we have the opportunity to live abundant lives through Christ, to love people, to love God, to get out there and change this world for the better. Yeah. And Jesus ain't coming back till the last person who needs to be saved is saved. And the devil knows that. 
All right. What is yeah. what is winning look like to the devil? Winning to the devil, and I'm stealing another quote from Michael Heiser here. Winning to the devil doesn't look like winning because he's not going to win the battle. Winning to the devil looks like slowing down the church. And for the last 40 years of my life, I've watched a church turn into molasses, going uphill on a freezing cold day. Yeah. Because the church is not inspired. The church is not functioning as the church. The church is just content to sit. And that's the American church, not the church as a whole. I know there are some churches on fire for Christ in in Brazil, in China, in Mm -hmm. Korea. There are a lot Mm -hmm. of Christians out there fighting the good fight. We need to get back to that. We need to love as if it's the last moments that we have on this earth. Because, guys, look at the sky. He's coming back. You're not going to know when. But I know for a fact that when he comes back, I don't want to be sitting there playing Xbox. Mm-mm. I don't want to be on my phone watching TikToks. Yeah. I want to see the glorious appearing and know that it's time to go home. So I just want to leave you guys this week with that. Please get out there. Please fulfill the Great Commission. Find somebody to disciple. Find somebody to do life with. Share the love that you've been given and realize that in Christ you are beloved of the father in a way that you cannot even understand. Yeah. Get out there and do life. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. God bless. God bless you.